Sports Professor Rick Harrow, and we are on the record. Every week, this podcast will take you inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports, the top deal-making issues, the top tech issues, and the top social responsibility issues, plus a blockbuster interview with someone who you might not have heard from in the world of sports, but having a profound effect on its impact. Let's get started. Sports professor Rick Harrow inside the $1.3 trillion business of sports. And you are on the record. Big happenings this week. Basketball, hockey, conference finals. All things major with the PGA Championship in Oak Hill. Baseball heating up. Football just around the corner. The bottom line is deal-making issues bigger than ever. Three to one. Three. The zone and being sports supporting a new worldwide task force with the mission to combat illegal streams of sports. Piracy of soccer streaming, a major issue for streaming services, and the cost of piracy, according to Apark's associates, at $113 billion during the 2022 World Cup. Ace and BN Sports identified a piracy group in Morocco that was to be using BN's broadcast of the World Cup. It successfully shut that operation down, but as streaming services continue to be the norm in sports viewership, fans are looking to watch strictly via the internet. And the addition of The Zone and the creation of Ace Sports Piracy Task Force marks a turning point to confirm yet again an essential partner to anyone who wants to deal with this business, says Ace. Bottom line is immediate and increased attention. Two. Record-breaking viewership. CBS Sports shatters the previous record with Real Madrid-Manchester City's tie. 1.141 million viewers on CBS Television Network, 15% increase compared to last year's first semifinal match. Match also broke records on their streaming service Paramount Plus. And the bottom line is a sign that the game continues to grow in the U.S. and Real Madrid's profile and a brand continues to draw attention. One. The Suns fired coach Monty Williams after NBA playoff elimination. He won't get another chance to take him to the finals after the Denver lost. He was fired the next day by mortgage billionaire Matt Ishbia, who purchased the team from Robert Sarver late last year. His pricey contract extension was set to go into effect in 2024, reported by Yahoo Sports to be potential candidate for the Bucks head coaching vacancy. The bottom line is, like any team in the NBA, you're up one minute and down the next. But that's deal-making issue number one. As our interview guest indicates, the team's performance itself is fine. More important than that is the team's impact on a downtown neighborhood. In this case, downtown Phoenix, not only the Suns, but the Diamondbacks. Debney Marley, the president and CEO of Downtown Phoenix, Inc., she's been around not only with the deals with Downtown Phoenix, but she was the senior director of marketing partnership for the Suns. She worked with the Arizona Organizing Committee, Super Bowl Celebration, the college football playoff, and others. And most important, she has the ability to take a look at what downtown support organizations and economic development organizations, in this case, the Downtown Phoenix Community Development Corp and the Phoenix Community Alliance merged to call it Downtown Phoenix, what it does for investment, for growth, for awareness, for PR, for industrial location, and a whole host of benefits. Here's Devney Marley. First of all, kind of the arms race. The uh, uh, 
Downtown Phoenix, Inc., as I understand it, is a marriage of the Downtown Phoenix Community Development Corp and Phoenix Community Alliance. And I think you have or are about to celebrate your 10-year anniversary. Purpose, goals, mission, happy with what you're doing and have done? Absolutely. You've done your research. Yes, Downtown Phoenix, Inc. was formed just uh, in 2013 as an umbrella organization to bring together community and economic development organizations that were already working on downtown, um, sometimes in tandem, at times apart. And it's, it's brought those organizations together underneath the same roof, literally and figuratively. And it's really helped to accelerate the work that we do collectively as an organization. And you do, as you said, work with a lot of different organizations, the purposes to uh, people other than urban, urban planners might be a little confusing, but you're, are you a promotional arm, an economic development arm, a, a building arm, a political arm, or all of those, an octopus, oh, you know, all, all the those above. Arms. Yes, yeah. yeah. Um, in its uh, simple state, we are a community building organization. And we have uh, business leaders and advocates under Phoenix Community Alliance, which is our, our advocacy affiliate. And then we do have the construction companies, the architects, the zoning attorneys involved in our community development corporation that's really focused on how do we facilitate more affordable housing development in the downtown area. Um, but you bring those underneath the umbrella, which also provides the marketing and events for downtown, the branding. And we often say here our greatest strength is really our connectivity to our downtown stakeholders. So those street level businesses, the property owners, the property managers, security managers, uh, we want to know as many of our, our neighbors downtown to help build this community together. I've seen vision statements in my time, but ladies and gentlemen, get this one. Quote, deliver a vibrant and healthy downtown that make the experience of the community enriching and engaging to residents, visitors, businesses, and also help strengthen the reputation and heart of Phoenix as a sustainable way. Huh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. And, and obviously, uh, it is a, a major effort to bring everybody together. It's not just kumbaya, but it's this real practical developmental stuff, right? Absolutely. And in downtown Phoenix, everyone's in it for the greater good. And I think it's something that differentiates us from other markets where there might be a difference of opinions. At the end of the day, everyone wants to do what's best for downtown because a stronger downtown creates a, a better city as a whole. And we've worked really hard to position ourselves as that nexus point and really the, the center point of information and resources for our businesses, but also our residents, our students, our community and neighborhood groups um, who we also work hard to represent in downtown. So as a lawyer and quasi-classic uh, uh, mistake-oriented urban planner, I like to think that, you know, everything about cities. Uh, there are cities like there's no doubt that downtown Los Angeles fuels the rest of the environment. San Francisco, Chicago, Chicago land is Chicago. Phoenix, is it harder or easier because you've got Scottsdale and Mesa and then you got Glendale and the West Valley? Uh, everybody's supposed to work together. Does it turn out that way? I, I would say yes. And almost unequivocally, um, we, again, in it for the greater good, and we just do things different in this region. And that collaboration is really a competitive advantage that we have, especially when we're working to attract mega events. All the cities, municipalities work together. Uh, when we talk about Phoenix and downtown and then compare it to the other, the other cities, Luckily, we've had really strong mayors, especially Mayor Kate Gallego, who is focused on strategy and vision. And, and she herself was an economic development um, uh, individual. And 
she's now in the middle of updating our, our general plan for the city, which in prior versions have pointed to Phoenix being the heart of our state and downtown is the heart of Phoenix. And it's why having this really strong urban core is so important, not just for Phoenix, but for the state, because um, it really radiates out from this urban center that we have here. I think you could probably argue that people in your position come from a whole bunch of different backgrounds, some economic development, some sports, not always, but the senior director of marketing partnerships for the, for the Suns for eight years, I see that the Arizona organizing committee, not just the uh, uh, Super Bowl, but the college football playoff. You've done it all and you've done it all in mega events and you've done it all with franchises as well, particularly uh, enable you to talk positively about sports as an economic development engine? Oh, absolutely. Um, to your point, I spent nine years with the Phoenix Suns and Mercury and worked inside of the arena. And then I had the opportunity to work on our Super Bowl in 2015 and our college football playoff in 2016. And I oversaw the fan activities that were held outside of the arenas and outside of the venues. And those were the events that were the community give back and the way to embrace the community, galvanize the community and introduce not just visitors to our city and state, but locals who hadn't been downtown in 10, 20 years. And our downtown is growing and evolving and it's really gone through a transformation. It's important that local residents as well as visitors uh, understand what's happening here. And there's no better opportunity than a mega event like a Super Bowl or a, a college football playoff. So that's an, really, uh, I think, one of the most important arguments you can comment on. Uh, people that only casually care about sports will glaze over when they read economic impact studies, multiplier effects, all of that. But the one thing that I think people can understand is all-star game, baseball, et cetera, World Series. Uh, people come in from out of town that wouldn't otherwise come in, and they stay for five days as opposed to two. There's a narrative that's tied into that story, isn't there? Oh, 100%. Um, in 2015, especially, the, the mantra really was, how do we create economic development for downtown Phoenix um, through these fan activities, through this mega event? And there's no louder megaphone, there's no bigger billboard for a region than a mega event like the ones you just listed. And absolutely, the organizing groups um, put strategy and, and great intent behind promoting the cities, the region, the state. Um, you have the local, the national, the international visitors, and also viewers. And it's the, the eyeballs, too, that are now seeing the quality of life and the amazing weather that is here in the, the months of February, March, and April. And um, there are also visiting CEO programs that are planned whenever there's a mega event to invite CEOs from businesses to consider relocating or expanding into Phoenix. Arizona Commerce Authority, our local organizing committees, the city of Phoenix have had great success with those programs, um, and we're still seeing businesses relocate or expand here as a result. Do you realize, uh, I had read that in the 27 years of mega events in, in the Phoenix area, it has never rained one drop on any of those mega events? No, I made that up, but it sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Maybe the game itself, but I know for the outdoor fan activities that I was in charge of planning for yeah. a year of my life at a time, uh, we had fog in downtown Phoenix in February in 2015. It was not what we expected, um, plus a lot of rain that did not allow us to use the rock climbing wall that we had uh, commissioned for that event specifically. But you create contingency plans, you pivot, and as long as at the end of the day, it looks good on TV, it really helps to sell your city and your state. 
Well, let's talk about that for a second, because obviously you deal with the circumstances that are given you, the folks in Indy that put together the week of events surrounding a Super Bowl. They planned for zero degrees, even though it's an indoor stadium. And the zoom over the fake ice went really well if it was 40 degree weather. You know, the Super Bowl in New York was 55 degrees at kickoff, but you got to plan for all your contingencies. Uh, there are uh, less likely major errors for mega events in 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 Phoenix and Arizona I think right or or not I I can't disagree with that statement I actually attended the Super Bowl in New York and the weather was amazing on game day everyone was incredibly fortunate uh, but the days leading up to it where they did have outdoor fan activities were a little bit on the cold side um, but you plan for it and there's just such a a positive spirit and energy that I think people uh, look past the weather and enjoy the opportunity in front of them but when it comes to West Coast cities, especially Phoenix, we are a little bit more spread out here. Uh, There is absolutely that competitive advantage with the weather, uh, the the ease of which many event producers find uh, their planning process. There's, again, just a great collaboration here um, on both the the public safety side, the municipalities, public and private sectors, and we're able to, to plan really successful mega events. Let's talk about facilities for a second, too. I mean, your son's experience, but also you know, the D-backs have been looking around for stuff. And clearly, Bob, Chase, Field, what a tremendous history there. Uh, do people get the importance and the of, of, of facility development and renovation as kind of an urban development catalyst? You're you're one of the, the, the people that kind of understand it and speak for it. How, how easy is it to make that case? I assume you believe it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, How easy is it to make that case? I I think it all starts with the information that's provided, the education process, and always the narrative. Uh, Too often I find myself saying it's it's the narrative control, um, especially related to the Phoenix Suns arena, the renovation that has occurred. It's a city of Phoenix owned building. It was in need of, of renovations between the Suns and the city, they have completely transformed that building and we've held amazing playoff runs, concerts that they're now able to book into that arena because of improvements that were made. Um, So it's certainly drawing uh, as many people, if not more, into the arena, but it's it's the city's arena and it's not just the basketball games that people come down for. And I think once members of the community understood this is a city-owned building and it's in need of renovations in order to keep these anchor tenants, these heritage teams here, uh, I I think constituents were able to get on board with that. And the business community was very supportive of it as well and really rallied behind it. Um, I was there last Friday night for a playoff game that just reminded me of the once in a lifetime experiences that are created for people and especially for kids. And when you have an arena in this, this urban center of your city and kids who have never been able to come to a game and maybe they come down for a clinic, they're experiencing these office towers and wondering who's working in them and can that be me someday? So yeah. the community impact that the Suns have, you know, coupled with the arena, um, it's just creating those experiences for the community. And it galvanizes the community in a way that I think we're hard pressed to find anything else other than, of course, maybe the, the Diamondbacks down the street when they're um, playing well like they are now and winning World Series like they have in the past. 
Well, the Diamondbacks, uh, you know, the interesting thing about uh, facility development as an urban movement is that we're now in the Diamondback cycle because they've got to look ahead as to what's going to happen at the end of this lease and the renovation yeah. issues. And, you know, Derek Hall and all those guys will do clearly the right thing. But they've contributed their fair share to downtown development, too, haven't they? Absolutely. Uh, the Diamondbacks are incredibly important to downtown, but I think that, down, that downtown is also very important to the Diamondbacks um, for, for that, that opportunity to develop around a, a stadium and be in this urban setting and creating uh, this area of, of professional sports teams. There's a multiplier effect when you have um, so many professional teams located in, in close proximity to one another. But, um, you know, for many summers, uh, when we had fewer conventions held in our convention center and fewer just people on the sidewalks. Uh, the Diamondbacks really helped many of our our locally owned businesses stay afloat through those summer months. And there's you know a lot of uh, gratitude towards the Diamondbacks and a special relationship I think between the Diamondbacks and small businesses downtown for that reason. But you know uh, again I think downtown is also it also has to be considered important to the Diamondbacks. And I think Derek and, and his leadership team absolutely understand that and, and want to be downtown um, if possible. And we're we sure hoping that they stay here. Well, the, the other piece of this, too, I, I think, is the, the whole quality of life aspect, which many people have said is the easiest to understand, but the hardest to empirically prove. When the Diamondbacks won the World Series, it seems like only yesterday, but years ago, and teams are playing in Super Bowls and uh, uh, NBA championships, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, how, do you, how do you quantify the, the feeling that every community needs facilities like this but also the feel-good atmosphere of successful teams that bring people closer together. Sure. In terms of infrastructure, venues, buildings, when downtown lands, the fan experiences that are maybe produced by uh, the NFL in the case of a Super Bowl, as well as the local organizing committee, and we see upwards of 90% of those fan activities in downtown, um, we're not apologetic about it because the city, uh, through public and private investment, more than $9.7 billion have been invested in downtown Phoenix since 2005. And that includes the completion of the convention center, light rail and its expansion. Um, and then you look at the close proximity to our airport and how easy it is to get in and out and, and into downtown. Our, our city has really made hosting mega events a priority and has made the investments because of the return on investment. 2015, we saw an economic impact of 719 million dollars. Um, I'd say that's that's a nice uh, local infusement, certainly to, to Phoenix, but also again to the region and the state. Um, so the infrastructure is incredibly important, and it's one of the reasons we continue to win the, the mega events that we do. And of course, it's not upon us to um, to produce a very successful event. But again, I think we, we do that really well here in Phoenix. In terms uh, of that, that local, yes, um, the local energy, that local vibe, the sidewalks are electric when the game inside the arena and the stadium are electric. I, I just think that it it permeates into the local community and um, our our sports teams have also done a really um, have done a great job and it's been very intentional the last few years to encourage their attendees to don't just drive into downtown, park in the garage, 
attend the game and leave, but maybe spend some time in downtown, explore the new bars, the restaurants that we have. We have a net gain in bars and restaurants um, since the pandemic. And, and we saw that throughout the pandemic and we're about 80% locally owned in downtown, which is um, really our, our secret sauce. And, and then the teams, in addition to our organization are encouraging people just to get out and explore more. Uh, there's so much more that downtown now has to offer. Yeah. And, you know, part of that next question would be something I would have never known to ask five years ago, post-pandemic economic recovery. You wouldn't have believed what happens. Now everybody's kind of getting back. And you look at what, for example, uh, Yankee Stadium with significant infrastructure dollars 100 years ago to get us past the Spanish flu. Now we think about the same kind of thing that has to happen. Uh, the, the sense of how important infrastructure moving ahead post-pandemic economic recovery will be and how facilities and events and the great coming back, the new Roaring Twenties, would play a part in that. Yeah, and I'll actually uh, take a step back to about 30 years ago when downtown was not as safe and as welcoming as it is today. And the Suns decided to move into downtown and they became that anchor tenant and really part of the origin story for why downtown has transformed in the way that it has. Uh, and then you add a, a baseball um, stadium and it's another very transformative uh, development for downtown. And um, they're all a part of the overall strategic plan for downtown that does include, of course, sports and entertainment, arts and culture, but also let's think about the residents and the students we now have down here. Um, and they're all a really important piece of our, our success story and also our recovery. We've added 11,000 uh, apartment units since I think it's 2005. We have another 3,400 under construction. And most of those were just in the last couple of years. And all that planning and development that was either underway or about to start before the pandemic hit still, still happened. And as an organization, we were concerned that there are all these hotel rooms under construction and um, apartments under construction. We have this momentum and trajectory, but what's going to happen to us post-pandemic. And so we set out on a, um, a quality of life campaign because we realized we have this amazing quality of life, of course, in the state, but in downtown, things are a little bit more spread out. Um, we have we have great green spaces, public spaces for people to utilize. Not every downtown has that. We have a 32 and a half acre park on the north end of our downtown, and it's, it's heavily utilized now as a result of the pandemic. But we've been able to recover, and that quality of life campaign, I think, really helped on the economic development side for those um, investors, developers considering downtown. Um, but then we also pivoted into a positioning campaign because we had all these data points and realized we're, we're going to come out of this um, in a place, in a position of strength. And so we've really built campaigns around that for our business attraction and retention tools too. Well, Demney has a lot to tell us about the future of sports in downtown. Diamondbacks, great downtown citizens, sons as well. Let's go into the sports gaming minute. Let's look at Nebraska. It could launch next month after a key administrative hurdle cleared. Members of the Nebraska Racing and Gaming Commission approved the master list of sports on which people will be allowed to bet. The sports wagering catalog, popular leagues like the NFL and NBA, niche sports like the World Surf League. Gambling will be allowed on spring training, the regular season, postseason all-star game, home run derby, etc. Approval of the list, a critical step for sports betting in Nebraska, but... No betting on the Cornhusker football team when it plays at Memorial Stadium or on a Creighton University team when it plays at home. No online sports 
betting allowed in Nebraska Division I regular football season and beyond. Now Tech, La Liga, and Sport Boost invite startups to find A1 solutions based on the ability to monetize and push the envelope. The startup needs to have a minimum viable property already launched in the market. Up to five startups chosen as winners and will get the opportunity to present their projects and interact directly with decision makers from La Liga and Super Boost. Startups have until mid-June, but the bottom line is this is another example of a team and a league trying to generate some interesting solutions through competition. That's your Sports Tech Minute. Finally, as we do every week, good sports. KC Sports Business Icons joining the roster for the Junior Achievement Hall of Fame. Patrick Mahomes, other very important people in all aspects of Kansas City sports, obviously including Kansas State University and others. Ripken Baseball acquires Sports Park Center and Cedar Point Sports Center. The bottom line is that Ripken Baseball has been a major operator in this space for years, and now they're also adding some events and entities and properties across the country. Zach Granke of the Kansas City Royals joins an incredible club in baseball history, the fifth pitcher to strike out a thousand different hitters. Just think about that. Think about who he faced and how he faced them. And now an unlikely Kentucky Derby win hit big for hundreds of sports vestment uh, app folks. We know about Mage. He made his late dash to win the 149th Kentucky Derby. The bottom line is that the 15-to-1 shot made money for a number of people using a sports investing app. And the last time multiple syndicates held relatively small shares in a Kentucky Derby race, the race was off in front of a sparse 2020 Churchill Hill Downs crowd and four months behind the regular scheduled first Saturday in May because of COVID. This is a big deal. Finally, the Titans video ranked best in the league by Sports Business Journal. The bottom line is it's not only about the team, but about various philanthropic efforts around Nashville. That's your Good Sports 5, and that's the show for today. We'd like to thank Devney Marley to give us her insight on Phoenix growth in particular and downtown development with facilities in the forefront in general. We'd like to thank Nick Nielsen for helping with the show. I'd like to thank you for watching and listening. And join us again next week when we stay on the record. <music>